0: Let's open our Bibles together at this time too. The book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 28. Acts 20:28 20, for our message from the timeless eternal word of God. Acts 20:28 20, will be found on page 1178. If you're using the church Bible, as always, we want everyone to be able to see the word of God as we teach it. This morning's date is April 23rd, 2023. This morning's text is going to begin in Acts 20 and verse 28, and then go right on down to the end of the chapter in verse 38. And the title of this morning's message is Paul's Goodbye Kiss. The Apostle Paul's Goodbye Kiss. And we begin this morning with the brief story of a wife who said to her husband one morning, Our new neighbor kisses his wife goodbye every morning before he leaves for work. How come you don't do that? And her husband looked at her and said, I barely know the woman. (laughs) Well, speaking of kissing people goodbye... That's what the Apostle Paul is going to do at the end of this passage here in Acts chapter 20. As we saw last Sunday, and then again in our scripture reading this morning, he's been saying goodbye to the elders of the church in Ephesus. But before he kisses them goodbye... He's got some more things that he wants to say to them, as we see in verse 28, where he tells them, "'Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers.'" to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, first of all, remember that when you see that word, therefore, you're supposed to look to see what it's there for, right? And here, Paul has just finished telling them that, when he was in Ephesus, he did the things that he's telling them to do now. He took heed to himself and to the flock. We saw that he took heed to himself to serve the Lord with all humility of mind. And then he took heed to feed the flock of God the Word of God right and now he's telling them that it was their turn to do those things he later told Timothy the same thing in your first reference in 1st Timothy 416 take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine Paul's doctrine continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee now you know that Timothy and his hearers were already saved from their sins Paul was talking there about being saved from all the bad things that happen to you when you don't take heed to Paul's doctrine We teach Paul's doctrine here at Faith Bible Church because, frankly, your Christian life would be a disaster without it. But now, don't get insulted when Paul calls the church a flock there in verse 28. (laughs) I say that because people only think that sheep are stupid. (laughs) They tell me, anyway, that they're they're actually very intelligent animals. But what they are is directionless. (laughs) That is, they need somebody to lead them. Because left to themselves, they'll just follow one another and they will literally follow one another off a cliff. I was reading online and saw that recently in Turkey, 1,500 sheep fell off a cliff while their shepherds were eating breakfast. The good news is, only the first 400 of them died. Because the remaining 1,100 were saved when they fell on that big, fluffy cushion of the first 400. (laughs) I kid you not. So, when God calls his people sheep, he's just saying that they need a shepherd to steer them away from danger. And the Greek word, you know, the original New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word translated shepherd is also translated pastor. God's sheep need pastors to shepherd them. Because if sheep don't have a leader, they'll just play follow the leader. Let me give you an example of that that I read online. seems there was a shepherd, true story, who kept his sheep in a barn. And he decided one day to run a little test. He stretched a rope across the barn door about knee high to the sheep. And then he opened the barn door to let him out. Now the first few sheep out the door jumped over the rope as they left. But then he cut the rope. And believe it or not, the ones following continued to jump over the rope that wasn't there anymore. (laughs) And they did that because they saw the sheep in front of them jump over something. And when somebody in the church does something wrong, there's a tendency for people to follow him. And that sin spreads like leaven. And when somebody in the church something wrong from the word of God there's a tendency for people to follow that too unless there is a pastor to correct him now if you hang around grace believers long enough you'll probably hear some of them say that we members of the body of Christ are not sheep that uh, only Jews are called sheep in the Bible. But as you can see from Paul's words here, that's just not true. Now, it used to be true under the law back when Gentiles were called what? Dogs. Dogs. But it is not true here under grace. We're just as sheepish sheepish. <laughs> As the Jews were under the law. Now, notice in verse 28 that Paul calls their shepherds, their elders, overseers. Now, that's not a word we use much anymore because today we call men like that supervisors. I will have to tell you that businesses have supervisors who provide. Supervision. The word super means over. And Matt Erickson isn't here today, but he builds bridges. And he can tell you that in building bridges, you've got the superstructure of the bridge above, and you've got the substructure of the bridge below. So a supervisor sees above, he sees vision above, he oversees and in the Bible overseers did what supervisors do today, they they watched over and guided workers, look at your next reference in 2nd Chronicles 34 and verse 13 They were over the bearers of burdens and were, oh, there's our word, overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service. Now, you know what that means, don't you? It means if pastors are overseers, then God expects the people to be workers, Workers who work, as it says in that verse, in any manner of service. And if you don't have a job around here, come see me. There's always things that need to be doing in every church. But now, here in verse 28, we've got a dispensational difference. Because that verse says that the Holy Ghost made those men overseers. That means that those elders had a supernatural, miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, the kind you read about in your next reference in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 11, and 29. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit With all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another prophecy, all these gifts worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. We all are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Now I emphasize that all teachers' business there because the teachers mentioned there are the, are the elders mentioned here. The purpose of the elder in the local church is to teach the word of God. And back then, The Holy Spirit made men prophets and healers and teachers. He decided who got what gift. Today you'll often hear Christians say that they're they're trying to figure out what their spiritual gift is. If you hear someone say that, just say, You're living in the wrong dispensation. Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 1, this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop or a spiritual leader, he desires a good work. Today, men have to have the desire to be spiritual leaders. The Holy Spirit's not going to come along and say, boom, you're a teacher, you're a leader. And if God were still giving the gift of teaching, wouldn't you expect that the gift of teaching would be at the top of the list when Paul lists qualifications for spiritual leaders? But what's Paul say instead in the very next verse in 1 Timothy 3.2? A bishop then must be apt to teach. Today, men don't have a miraculous gift of teaching. But they should have an aptitude for teaching. I hated giving speeches in high school. I got to tell you. But, after I started desiring to be a pastor... I was assigned to give a speech on World War II, and after I got done, one of my classmates came up and said, you know, listening to you talk about World War II is just like watching it on TV. And I thought, well, maybe I could be a pastor after all. I don't have a gift of teaching. But I got the Bible, folks. Amen. And what does Paul say about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is profitable. Well, hey, isn't that what that First Corinthian reference, a couple of references ago, said about the gifts? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. They were given every man these gifts to profit. But now that the gifts are all gone, folks, the prophet, all the profit that you need is in this book. And it's all that a teacher needs to feed the flock of God's people. And did you notice that verse 28 says that God purchased? the church with his own blood now did you notice also that it doesn't say that Christ purchased the church with his own blood that's true but that's not what it says is it it says you were purchased by the blood of God if you ever need proof that the Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh there it is the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross was God's blood and it was also human blood but it was divine blood as well and that's a reflection of how the Lord himself was both human and divine now don't ask me to explain that because I can't (laughs) It's just one of the many things that you have to say, that old saying, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, right? (laughs) But when it says that God purchased us, most Christians don't know what that implies. The Corinthians didn't. You can tell by the way they were acting. So Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Know ye not that ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When you believe the gospel, when you believed on Christ and got saved, God bought you, he purchased you, and now he owns you. Lock, stock, and barrel. And you need to use your body as respectfully as you would if you were driving the car that belonged to the President of the United States. Because that body that you live in, that body you're driving is not your own body. It's his. Now, next, Paul tells these elders why they had to feed the flock in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now here we have to ask how Paul knew that. Because I don't think he knew it because he was a prophet using his gift of prophecy and knowing that those grievous wolves were coming. Here, all he had to know was the scriptures, folks. (laughs) Because the scriptures tell us that grievous wolves we're always entering into God's flock in every dispensation. It happened in your next reference when God was talking to Zephaniah about Israel. And he said in Zephaniah 3, 3, and 4, Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw the bones her prophets are treacherous back in that day Israel's judges were the wolves but in Matthew 7:15 the lord warned the jews that he ministered to beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves ravenous predators we would probably say but did you ever ask yourself what exactly does that analogy mean I mean everybody knows that wolves kill and eat sheep and gnaw their bones right (laughs) but how would a false prophet eat a believer (laughs) Well, here I think something Ezekiel says in your next reference kind of helps explain the analogy. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 34, 2 and 3, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel, that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat of the the sheep, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. In other words, the shepherds of Israel at Ezekiel's day were taking everything they could get from the flock of God's people, but they weren't giving anything back. And that's what Paul was warning these elders about. Men who would enter the church and act like sheep in order to become shepherds of the church. Shepherds of the sheep. To see what they could get out of the church instead of seeing what they could give. But as we read on, we see that grievous wolves coming into the church from outside the church weren't the only things that these elders had to watch for. Look at verse 30. Paul says, also Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Elders in a church must also watch out for men within the church who want to become shepherds to see what they can get out of the church without giving anything back. And men like that... They're smart enough to know that they're not going to be able to draw disciples after them if all they do is keep saying the same things that the elders say. So they start saying something different. And in that verse there, that's what that word perverse means in verse 30 to lead somebody away from what is is doctrinally correct. You see that in your next reference, Jeremiah 23, verse 36. Ye have perverted, there's the word, the words of the living God. I'll have to tell you the words of the living God were correct words. But in Jeremiah's day, the pastors stopped saying those words and started saying something else. They perverted the words of God. They started saying perverse things. So these elders here had to be on the lookout for men like that as well. Next, Paul tells them in verse 31, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here, Paul reminds them that for three years, he watched for men like that for three years. he warned the people about men like that. and if you've been studying with us, you know that that night and day business that that was not an exaggeration. <laughs> We saw just back in chapter 19 that Paul preached till midnight one night. And then he raised the guy from the dead. And then he continued to talk and minister to the people till daylight. Night and day for three years. With tears. Because if I don't keep going, we'll be here all night too. Uh, verse uh, 32 says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now, that word commend there in that context means the same thing it does in your next reference, in Luke twenty three forty six, where it says, Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And, having said this, he gave up the ghost. Right before your Savior died on the cross, he placed his spirit in his Father's hands. And that's what the word commend there means here as well. Paul was putting these elders into his father, the, the father's hands. He was leaving them. But he didn't appoint a man to be some kind of pope and commend the elders into his hands. He put them in God's hands. And since you've heard me say often that God only speaks through His Word, He was actually commending them to the Word of God and putting them in the Bible's hands. But not just the Bible in general, He was committing them to the Word of His grace, it says. The words of the grace message found in Paul's epistles. Folks, that is the only message in the Bible that can build up believers in the dispensation of grace. If you put a believer into the hands of any other parts of the Bible today, it's going to tear him down, not build him up. I mean, if you put somebody in the hands of the law of Moses, he's going to expect that that God will prosper him if he keeps the law of Moses, right? And when God doesn't prosper him if he keeps it, it's going to tear him down. It's going to rip his faith to shreds. And we could give a lot more examples like that, but verse 32 says the other thing the word of grace does is give us an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And that's talking about the Jews who were sanctified when the Lord was here ministering to the Jews before Paul came along. Paul's actually quoting something the Lord told him the day he saved him in your next reference. Paul was telling the story here of how he got saved in Acts 26, 15-18, And he quotes how the Lord said, I am Jesus. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister of the Gentiles, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Well, hey, folks. On Damascus Road, the only people who were already sanctified by faith that was in Jesus Christ were those Jews who put their faith in Jesus Christ when he was here teaching the Jews. So, what's this inheritance that we have among those sanctified Jews? Well, look what God told the very first Jew in your next reference... In Romans 4.13, the promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world was given to Abraham. God promised Abraham and his seed, his descendants, that they would inherit the entire world and the people in the entire world. They would be the rulers of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles would be their servants. And Paul says, we have an inheritance among those Jewish rulers of the world. What's Paul say in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 2? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world and the world shall be judged by you. <laughs> We're both going to judge the world, rule over the world. You say, well, how's that going to work? Well, remember what Paul says in the very next verse. We quote 1 Corinthians 6, three often. We shall judge angels. We're going to judge angels in heaven. But, The government of heaven is over the government of earth. So we're going to judge the earth, we're going to judge the world through Israel. Now, if that's not clear to you, compare how in the Christian home, the government of the Christian home is set up this way. You husbands are over your wives. You wives are over your children. You husbands are the the head of the entire home, but you rule your children through your wives. And Paul is saying, we'll rule the world through Israel. That's your future, folks. Rulers of angels, rulers of the world we 're going to be masters of the universe. I hope that's not a bad thing i 've heard that phrase used before, but that 's what we 're going to be through in Christ. Now, does that make Israel inferior to us because they 're just ruling the earth and we 're ruling over that? No, how many of you husbands think your wives are inferior to you? How many of you husbands know better than to answer that question? Well, it's not a matter of inferior or superior. It's a matter of how God has structured the Christian home. And Israel isn't inferior... I'm pointing to Israel. Israel isn't inferior to the body of Christ, It's just the way that God has structured the future government of the entire universe, folks. But let me ask you a question. If you know that, if you know you're going to someday rule angels in heaven, are you going to become a grievous wolf who tries to become the ruler of a flock of God's people on earth in order to get their money now. And neither would Paul, as you see as as you read on in verse 33 back in your Bible now. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold apparel. That's not why I came into this place, he says. Paul understood the riches of the inheritance that he's waiting for or is waiting for him in heaven. So he didn't have to covet the money in the bank account of the church in Ephesus. He had no problem waiting for the riches that God has waiting for him in heaven. In fact, he did what it says in verse 34. 34 where he went on to tell the elders "Yea, ye ye yourselves know that these hands and you can just picture him holding up his hands these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to the workers who were with him hey we've already seen Paul was a tent maker right Who, who made tents with his hands that means he could pay his own way and meet his own expenses in Ephesus. Now, does that sound like something that a grievous wolf would do? <laughs> who was a guy who was after their money? Of course not. You wouldn't find a grievous wolf making tents with his hands. And well, that doesn't mean that churches shouldn't pay pastors. When the Corinthians refused to pay Paul, he reminded them in your next reference in 2 Corinthians eleven nine, When I was present with you, Corinthians, and wanted for things, I was chargeable to no man. Why not? For that which was lacking to me, that which you didn't pay me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. When the Corinthians didn't pay Paul, He accepted money from another church that wanted to pay him, the Macedonian church in Philippi. So he believed in letting churches pay him. (laughs) But he worked as a tent maker in Ephesus instead. And that was because of something he talked about in your next verse, in verse 35. He says, I have showed you all things... How that so laboring, laboring like I did as a tent maker, ye ought to support the weak, the poor, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul refused to take money from the church in Ephesus. To show himself to be an example to these elders, so why didn't he want them to draw a paycheck from the Ephesian church if they if one of them became the pastor? well, it was to help with a a temporary situation that existed in Ephesus at that time. You see, there were a lot of weak poor people in Ephesus and that was all Paul's fault (laughs) do you have any idea how many people Paul put out of work in Ephesus before Paul got to Ephesus there were men earning a living as exorcists but then Paul came along and this happened in Acts 19 remember this Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And the evil spirit leaped on them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, I got a question. After that happened, how many young men in Ephesus do you think said to themselves, I think I'll go into exorcism. I hear there's money to be made in that unless they come along and beat you up. <laughs> no! Paul destroyed that industry and he also destroyed another Ephesian industry because when we studied that, we saw that when the Ephesians saw what happened to those exorcists, then in Acts 19 and verse 17, this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling at Ephesus. And many which used curious arts, dark arts, the black arts, brought their books and burned them. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Well, after that happened, men who printed books about curious arts were out of business. And so were the men who read those books and practiced those dark arts, right? And you'll remember that Paul absolutely clobbered the number one industry in Ephesus, which was what? Making silver shrines for the goddess Diana. When some of those silversmiths got saved and turned in their union cards found themselves standing in the unemployment line. Only in those days the government the government didn't give money to you if you were just out of work. So Paul told these elders to work and give those people money. And later on he told the people in the Ephesian church to help him too. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. See how that all ties together? By the way, there in that verse you see that Paul was still putting people out of business, out of work. Thieves. Members of what Boris Badenov used to call Villains, Thieves, and Scoundrels Union. How many remember Rocky and Bullwinkle and the Villains, Thieves, and Scoundrels Union? (laughs) Hey folks, Ephesus was an extremely wealthy city. And I don't have to tell you where there's wealth... There's thieves who want to steal that wealth. But when they got saved and started working, Paul told them to help the weak as well. And to get these elders here to help the poor, he tells them to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive and you've all heard that That's an, even, a, even the world knows that expression and quotes it although a lot of them probably don't know who said it but did you notice that Paul didn't say what I sometimes say to you I'll say go home and read Matthew 20 or, or whatever instead he said something else Instead, he said, remember the words of the Lord. Paul couldn't tell them to go home and read the words of the Lord in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because those words of the Lord, they're not in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. But the Lord must have been famous for saying those words because he told them to remember those words, right? Now, Here's something that people often forget about that old saying. It is a blessing to receive. It's just more blessed to give. Isn't that what he says? It is more blessed to give than to receive. That means that receiving is a blessing too. So folks, when you find yourself financially weak and poor, let God's people bless you. Let them them be a blessing to you. Over the years, I've been helped by a number of people in our church, and I've helped a number of you as well, and continue to do so. It's just more blessed to give than to receive. So if you're looking for a blessing, in addition to all the spiritual blessings you have, just Give money to somebody who needs it, a brother or sister in Christ who needs it, and receive it when you need it as well. And you know what? Helping other people like that, other members of your church family, that must be the highest level of spirituality you can reach because after Paul said it, he didn't say anything else. Look what it says in verse 36. When he had thus spoken, when he said those words, he said, that's it. Sermon's over. And he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. Now, if you know your Bible, you know the Lord was also famous for saying that the two greatest commandments were what? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I think these elders learned to love God when they got saved. Now, if they would just learn to love their neighbors enough to help them, they would reach the highest spirituality they could reach. Finally, in verses 37 and 38, they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. There's the goodbye kiss. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And then they walked him to the ship. Now here, (laughs) here you would think that they would sorrow most of all hearing that those grievous wolves were coming, wouldn't you? But here's the thing about that they could do something about that they couldn't do anything about paul's words that they weren't going to see him anymore that's why they sorrowed about that now is there anything you can learn from that if things happen to you that you can't control just sorrow like an elder that's what they did. Nothing wrong with that. But for everything else in your life that happens to you, that's bad, just steal your resolve and determine that you're going to do something about it like I'm sure these elders did when they heard about those grievous wolves coming. And may God grant you the wisdom to know the difference in those two things, folks. Because I can't tell you how many times I'm counseling with someone, some of you personally in emails at BBS, how many times I'm talking to people and they're worried and fretting and driving themselves absolutely crazy about something they can't control, something that's happened they have no control over. And I personally believe that the secret of happiness in life is knowing the difference. Knowing when something, there's something you can do, something bad that happens, you can do about it, you do it. And if not, then you just sorrow and move on. In closing, let me tell you something else about sheep that I learned. Sheep will drink from a puddle That is filled with the most polluted water you can imagine. Unless there's a shepherd there who catches them and saves them. And Christians will drink in some of the most polluted doctrines you can imagine without a pastor. Catch them and save them. So if I were to suddenly cash in my chips, don't be like some of the churches I hear about who just decide, well, we don't need a pastor. Because you know what they say about dog sled teams, don't you? Unless you're the lead dog, the view never changes. (laughs) Unless you're the lead dog, all you ever see is the rear end of the dog in front of you. And you have to go where he leads. And the same is true for a flock of sheep, folks. If they don't see some shepherd towering above them, all they ever see is the rear end of the sheep in front of them. One that might lead them off a cliff. And that can happen to God's people spiritually as well. We are so blessed to have men here like Pastor Tower and Ray and Oscar and Josh when he gets back. Craig when he's been here long enough. (laughs) Any one of them could be your next pastor, folks. So when I go see Rex and Ronnie and Dave, pick one of them. Pick one of those men to be your pastor and then ordain the rest of them and send them out to churches that need pastor like we did for Pastor Paul Ballback. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for driving home the importance of leadership in the local church that we've seen this morning. I can remember many years ago a grace pastor who uh, came out of the Plymouth Brethren background. And that dear group of people, they're a very studious group of people. John Darby was one of them. He's one of the founders of our, of our Mid Acts dispensational uh, fellowship, for that matter. But the Plymouth Brethren don't believe in having a pastor. They just have elders that teach and as this brother used to say that they really didn't even get together to decide who was speaking when. they just show up on Sunday and say who who wants to say something. And that grace pastor, I will never forget his words. He said it was a miserable way to, to run God's work. We've seen the importance of a a, a spiritual leader this morning and we thank you that uh, as I prayed earlier this morning that our church saw something in a young man 44 years ago and let me grow into a pastor who could bless them. Help us as we train Oscar and others and send them out to the rest of the world as well. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.